Welcome to What's So Funny, a comedy podcast where we talk about some of the most influential and controversial comedians from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh. Here's your host, Dave Swanson. Hi, welcome back to What's So Funny. We got a new season of comedy ready to go for you. It's a different format. We've got the same era, 50s, 60s, and 70s laughs. And the comedian we're talking about today is Phyllis Diller. Hey, Tom. Yeah, hey, Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Tom. Hey, guys. It's great to be back <laughs> with you. How's this everybody? exciting. Yep, we're here to laugh. And I'm going to tell you what we're talking about. One of I know one of my personal favorites, an icon of mm. comedy, is Phyllis Diller. Absolutely pioneer man right yeah i mean she's been around she was around for a long time and she's given credit you know for really groundbreaking stuff for female comedians i mean she was one of the first yeah well i mean back then if if you look back and you know kind of research it a little bit there was gene carroll who was a, a, a you know a female comic who, who really was like the first if you look at those early videos like in the 40s and 50s no women were in comedy it was like a woman shouldn't be in a nightclub at night with men and booze. There was nobody for her to connect with. There was just no female comedians out there working with her. It was it was it was her Jean Carroll and Moms Mabelly and her. Yeah, I was gonna say moms. Yeah. That was a whole different circuit. I mean long that, time back. Yeah. I mean yeah. they were they were segregated. They were playing different clubs, everything like that. A horrible time actually. Jean Carroll, now if you watch her, I've gone back and looked at some of her videos, very, very similar to Phyllis Diller in her delivery. However, the great thing I like about Phyllis is she just makes fun of herself. She laughs at herself constantly. Yes. It's funny. But even her outfits. I mean, Jean Carroll came out and, and she looked nice. She was elegant. Phyllis came out <laughs> with a fright wig, <laughs> the sacks that she wore for dresses and the gloves. I mean, she was a prop comic when you think about it. A spectacle. I, I love how she said she was considered a gay icon because she said my first audience were gay people because they have a sense, a great sense of humor. They love yeah. comedy and they love to laugh. She's like, and how do you think they got the word gay put on them? It's exactly. Like <laughs> yeah. It's just such a great, great inspiration of a person and, and so loving to all of her audience. And the thing is, you know, she didn't start her career until real late. Yeah, I mean, she was, you yeah. know, 37, yeah. 38 years old. With uh, six she, kids. Yes. And she was the housewife. You know, she just, she broke out of the mold. She said that she had this feeling all along that she could do this, that she could be somebody. And her actually her first husband encouraged her to go on stage. Yeah. Yeah. She, was doing, she was doing her bits for like the PTA. That's you know, the, yeah, and he like encouraged her to go on the in San Francisco because she kind of she really got her notice on the Groucho Marx game show. You bet your life. She talks about that the the Blue Angel Club is where she was working at that time of the show. That sort of was the the show that made her get noticed on, on a national level. That was her first national television appearance on Groucho Marx. You bet your life. And I and if you have a, it's on YouTube. You know, people can watch these things. Oh yeah, I've loved watching that because first of all, you're not going to believe it's Phyllis Diller. And she seems so, I don't want to say like shy. shy. Yeah, yeah, she does. She's out there. She's like, huh? And she's got her head down. She's not sure. And Groucho Marx, you know, he's an icon himself. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you don't want to trade wisecracks with Groucho Marx. No, he's quick, man. And, and there she is. And he's like, okay. She goes, what do you, you know, you're an entertainer. Well, entertain. Can you want to do your act? She goes, well, all right. 
And then she died. <laughs> and at the end, she gets him. Groucho was like, well, I, he's, I think he's serious. Like, wow, she is kind of funny. He wasn't expecting that when she started. Yeah, he's got this great smile on his face. I mean, almost it starts out where he's kind of like, I dare you to do your act. And then she does it. And you just see this like huge smile on his face at the end. Like, wow, okay. I mean, he doesn't laugh, but what comedian laughs at jokes? Hardly. <laughs> at that level, he's not really laughing at any comedian's jokes because he knows what's happening. But he was impressed. And the fact that she did that with Groucho Marx, who's from another era of comedy, that, you know, there were no women stand-up comedians back when he and his brothers were on vaudeville and touring and all that stuff. And he's like, yeah, come on, show me what you got. And she does. <laughs> so I love that. I love that moment. I love watching that clip. And then she actually walked away winning $500. See, that's a, that's a ton of money back then. <laughs> <laughs> they were going for 10000 but didn't get it. So You got to give her, credit, her husband some credit, though. I mean, especially during that time to say, go, you know, I support you. Do it. You need to do this. Well, and well, even though we well, have five, six kids, I mean. Well, she hated this guy. <laughs> she she like called him husband. Fang later. I think it was his name. <laughs> he was a failed businessman. And she said, her, one of her famous lines is, I went to become a stand-up comedian because I had a sit-down husband. Well, maybe, <laughs> yeah. Maybe he saw like a gravy train. Like, get you go to work, honey. You're funny. Go make the people laugh so we can collect money. It might have been that, right? Right? <laughs> she was born in Lima. 1917. Lima, Ohio. And she raved about Lima, even the very last interview of her life. She was getting an award from the people of Lima, okay? Mm. And she was just, she says, everyone should grow up in Lima. Everyone should have a childhood in Lima. However, I did read that you know, her parents were older when she was born. Yeah. Yeah, dad was like 55 when she was born. Yeah. So there was kind of a disconnect, is what I've read, that she, she pretty much had to entertain herself. Probably how she became such an entertainer for all. I can relate a little to that because I saw that that note at one point and I thought, you know, my dad was 65 when I was born. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. My mother was 35. Yeah. 30 years difference. So oh, wow. It was Good like, thing you didn't say she was 17. No. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, she, you know, she was, he was 58 when they got married and, and she, she was 28. So it's like, a, uh, and he wasn't a rich Greek shipping magnet. But when I saw that, that note there, that uh, an older father and a younger mother, I thought, you know, Sometimes that does, it's a different dynamic that happens in the home, you know, and, it, and it's a different, having an older father. She had a fondness for Lima, which is kind of cool, you know, the simplicity of that early life. And the thing I found interesting also is that, you know, she started out to be a musician. Oh, yeah. She was, she was a, a great classic, pianist. Yeah. yeah. She was classically trained. She went to college for that in Chicago. I think she studied three years to be a classical pianist and uh the thing was that i read somewhere that she saw how good her professors were and she thought she could never be that good so she's something she came back to ohio went to bluffton college yeah oh returned home back yeah. to ohio well kelly you came back to ohio i did yeah you were in los angeles we can relate to her a little yeah a little bit i can't but i think that's interesting it kind of because she has that very self-deprecating humor and it's almost like that note kind of shows that maybe it wasn't all just humor i mean the fact that she looked at her professors and was like well i could never be that good so i'm out of here you know that's, that's kind of interesting but she was able to spin that and make herself this grand joke to all and i don't know i really admire that in the beginning she was pretty much a prop comic she made fun of her looks you know, and I'm not going to say she looked funny, but she did not like the way she looked. She had so many plastic surgeries over her career, and she talked about it all the time. I remember one joke of hers. She finally told Bob Hope, I don't know how many facelifts she had. And he says, well, I'll tell you, Phyllis, I liked all of them. 
I liked all your faces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, she didn't look too bad. I mean, you know, she was in her 90s and still kind of working, right? So. Yeah, but you know, when she went on stage, we'll go back to like the Blue Angel and the Hungry Eye. She went up there. She didn't know what to do. And so she really wore those outrageous dresses that she created or whatever, colorful and just yeah, flashy. out there, flashy. That prop cigarette, because she didn't actually smoke. No, she, she never smoked. cigarette holder. It was, she had a cigarette made out of wood. <laughs> she wore the gloves. She had the gloves on, you know, like the debutantes. The look and the fright wig and everything. And that's how she went out and she made fun of herself. And that, uh, that cackle of a laugh. You know, I think sometimes when you create a character that you can hide behind a little bit, you can, you're liberated, you know? So I think maybe that if she was maybe shy, I know you, you were talking about her being a little bit shy. And if you create this persona yeah. and it's like, I'm, this is me now hitting the stage and then that you can kind of shed it. I don't know if she did shed it. I think you're very right about that, Tom, because you saw that in that Groucho Marx clip where, you know, when she was just herself being on this game show, she was shy. And then as soon as Groucho Marx was like, why don't you do your act? As you saw the confidence Boom. break out. And I, it was even more so when she put on the, the costume of that character that she had. Like we said, yeah. with hair, flashy jewelry. Like she was just very out there. I don't think we actually mentioned this before. This episode is anchored around a specific album. Did we say that? <laughs> no, I don't think we did. I think we forgot that. <laughs> it's a new format for us. But yeah, it, we're, we're anchoring this around the Are You Ready for Phyllis Diller, which took place in 1962. And I bring it up because there is a really great joke in there where she talks about right up from the bat. She's like, let me talk about the way I dress. The women in the audience might wonder why I'm dressed <laughs> like this. She goes, I just want to let you know it's the Jackie look. Jackie Gleason. It wasn't Jackie Onassis for no, her. Yeah. No, no. Right. Popular look of the time. It was Jackie Gleason. And, <laughs> and you know what else is interesting about that album? Because and Kelly and Tom, we were talking about the Groucho Marx segment she did. And this is how, you know, comics really develop their material. It's not anything overnight. Phyllis really worked on writing jokes. She wrote her own material. I mean, she just worked on, but if you, here's the thing, here's, you might not have noticed this. Go back and watch the Groucho Marx interview she did in 1958. And she'll talk about flying on cheap airlines. And the, the stewardess, not flight attendant, the stewardess was like 80 some years old. She was one of the original Wright sisters, she called herself, you know, and she <laughs> said, yeah, little thing. She said also like, you know, how, how long would it take us to get to Los Angeles? The, the stewardess says, I don't know. We've never made it yet. <laughs> um, anyway, that mm -hmm. material that she did for Groucho Marx yeah. on the Groucho, some of it, the basis it of on. that is on that album. Yeah, that she was kind of working it then, working yes. the material. Yeah, the that was five years later. And they were like one-liners, like a boom, a little a setup joke, setup joke. They were really, really quick little bits. They weren't uh, like that. That album feels like one kind of continuous monologue, but it's joke after joke after joke after joke. You know, they're not yes. like these long stories or uh, it, you know, or bits, right, Kelly and, and Dave? They're not like where you can go. This is her airline bit. I didn't know where that began and ended the, there. Yeah. You know, it's, but you know, it's just little things. Boom, boom, boom. When I was listening to it, I was like, okay, so I'm still on track maybe two. And it was like, oh no, I'm on track 16. It just, it's yeah. so short <laughs> on track. Yeah. They're such quick jokes. And even she says about the, the club that she's performing in Hungry Eye, it's a dump. And she said she wants to stay on stage because the dressing room is so bad. She doesn't want to go back there again. <laughs> One of the other notes that you kind of hear in stand-up comedy is like, don't, 
don't make fun of the club. Like, whatever you do, don't make fun of the club. You know, they're the ones paying you. Don't bite the hand that feeds you kind of thing. And she mm-hmm. walks out right right from the start. And she's like, oh, my God, this place. Don't dump. eat here. <laughs> don't yeah, eat but, here. <laughs> yeah, but let me, let, me, let me chime in on that because it is a business, too. If you're putting paying customers in the seats and you're doing it by making fun of the club and they're laughing and everybody's still ordering, they don't mind. She was the type, she had the talent. She would go on stage, she could pick a subject, okay? She would talk about her skinny legs, okay? Or she would talk about her overweight mother-in-law. And this is funny about Phyllis Diller because if you watch some of the clips, she performed until she was in her 90s, all right? She went on, I'm pretty sure she went on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno for her 90th birthday, somewhere around there. And she comes out and she goes, and now my mother-in-law. And she just cracks up. She's 125. But then she'll talk about her mother-in-law being, and it's not politically correct, but she'll call her fat. All right? Mm -hmm. She was Mm -hmm. overweight. And she'll do five minutes of these fat jokes. One after another, after another, after, I mean, one-liners. You know, it's just, it doesn't stop. And you see that in... You know, not a lot, but, you know, uh, these older comics are influences to the newer ones. So I can look at some of the female comics out there that I've known for years, and I could see, wow, they must, they've been listening to Phyllis Diller when they were little, you know, just like some of them listen to other people. And it's the one-liners and the taglines, and she was just amazing. And, you know, when she went to that Hungry Eye, she went there to audition one night, and they loved her so much. And I read the summer. They kept her for 89 straight weeks oh or something God. ridiculous like that. She was there every week. And I think that's where she was seen for um, the Jack Parr show. I think that's where she really started getting attention. She was on the, the you know, but Jack Parr was before Johnny Carson, The Tonight Show. And uh, she was on that like about 30 times or something. Yeah, it just took off from there. So, I mean, she was just a national right away. I mean, I don't want to say overnight success, but... She donated her um, archives, as you want to call it, her files with all her jokes. I mean, we're talking, I don't know, 50,000 jokes on note cards. It's ridiculous. Man, that's amazing. It's, well, it's kind of like Bob Hope had a, just an yes. arsenal, even though I think he had writers. But Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh, yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place, the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Tom, it's interesting you brought up Bob Hope because they actually worked together quite a bit. They met and, oh God, they did like 23 TV shows um, or episodes, I should say, mm-hmm. three movies. They she toured with him through Vietnam. So, I mean, oh, were, yeah, did the, oh, yeah, yeah. I think they, they probably just saw a game recognized game. You know, like they saw each other with the same sort of similar formats and you know powerhouses of joke writers and just hit it well, off. She she has a great story about the first time they met. Oh, really? Because he she was a fan of his. I think she said she listened to him on the radio and all this stuff, and he was a big deal. And she would go see him. And she was doing a performance somewhere one night, and they said, Bob Hope is in the audience. She'd never met him yet. And she went out and she bombed. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. <laughs> she said, it, and here's what a professional she was, because she says, it doesn't matter. You know, the audience, it's not the audience's fault. She says, you know, she says, bad comics blame the audience. Right. She said, no, 
they just had a different personality that she couldn't gel with or however it was, but she was hired to do her act. So she went out and did it. And she said it was horrible because nobody laughed. <laughs> nobody yeah, it laughed. It wasn't her crowd. That's yeah. It wasn't her crowd. Then yeah. Afterwards, she went backstage and there was a note, came back and said, Bob Hope really wanted to meet her. He thought she was hysterical. Oh, wow. And she said that's why she took to him so much because, you know, if he thought, <laughs> if he thought she was funny when she was bombing, what's going to happen when she's killing, you know? I, I guess um, he, he just saw the material in her, her presence, you know, in her persona and thought, you know, eh, this, these guys don't get it. This isn't your crowd. Wait till, you know, I'll take you to, we'll get some, we'll get some people that get you maybe. Or, yeah. They certainly did, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, but yeah, he, hey, he's another Ohio guy. See, every, mm-hmm. it's the Ohio people are funny. Ohio, we're <laughs> very funny. We're funny people here. <laughs> when I first moved out to Los Angeles, I thought I was like such a novelty of like, oh, I'm from Ohio. And I had, I was on a set and a stunt guy literally laughed in my face. And he was like, everyone is from Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there are a lot of people thing. from Ohio working in the entertainment industry. Yeah. When I moved out to Ohio, uh, Los Angeles, one of the first neighborhoods I lived in or something. I remember walking around, there's a guy walking around wearing a Cleveland Indians jacket. Oh yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, well, who the heck is this guy? And I didn't find until I went to, and, and again, I, I came out from New York. So I did not know the Los Angeles comedians this time. Anyway, the guy showed up at the improv. It was Drew Carey. Oh yeah. wow. <laughs> See, there's Drew, Cleveland again. The interviews, her friends that talked, you know, about her. I mean, she was close, like, but like see Joan Rivers and uh, you know, so, so many other, you know, Roseanne. She was tight with Roseanne. And they all talked about what a really classy lady she was. And what she was doing on stage was her act. That was her shtick. Well, Joan Rivers said, you know, she came at a time when you had to be outlandish like that, which was kind of weird that, you know, she said now she would be able to be elegant and beautiful as she, as she really is. And I'm like, well, that was Joan's thing. Joan wanted to be beautiful, yes. you know, and and it worked. But, you know, Phyllis, that was her thing. It was it was a character. And I think it would, um, thank God she did it, you know, because yeah. I think that it, it, it resonates and it uh, uh, was a strong character. She was known for her cosmetic surgery. It's no secret. She was a, a champion of that. She got awards from plastic mm-hmm. surgeons for, oh for, because, you know, people kept that hidden back in the 50s and the 60s. You weren't supposed to let anyone know you got a nose job or a facelift or anything. And she kept going back and she would talk about it on stage. And it brought it out to the open where it was, you know, instead of being something to be embarrassed about, if you don't like your nose, get it fixed. You know, if you don't like the wrinkles, get your face lift. She was multi-layered to it. I'm here in many ways. Well, she also, she did film her. She did TV and film. She starred in Splendor in the Grass, Rowan and Martin's Laughing. She did last skits on that. And she did Broadway as well. She did did Hello Dolly. Yeah. She did Hello Dolly. Imagine that. It's like, because you think of Carol Channing doing that, you know, and who is also a crazy big character, you know. Are people developing, I mean, I think in current times, you know, is character development as a stand-up, it's kind of gone away from that a little bit, hasn't it? Where you are putting on a persona like Pee-wee or or, uh, or even, uh, what's his name, Get Her Done guy, man. That guy who's- Yeah, yeah well, Larry, it, it, Larry the Cable Guy. Larry the Cable Guy, yeah. I mean, these characters that you create, and I just wonder if it's if it's kind of swinging back towards more reality and, and like- you know, mining your being real. I don't know. It's, it's, I don't it, know. You know, it goes, everything goes through phases. Mm-hmm. I always compare comedy to like music. You know, there's different phases and everybody influences everyone. I mean, it's not like when you get into comedy, it's not like you have to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> all right. And it's yeah. the same thing with music. You know, the ones who are out there playing now, you look back and you see, you know, Michael Jackson, then the Beatles, and then the Muddy Waters and Elvis and all. It all comes from one place. Phyllis was a groundbreaker. She's the one, she was the one who influenced the ones who came after her. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. Like you mentioned, like Roseanne and Joan. Yeah. Ellen DeGeneres. Well, Ellen yeah. DeGeneres. Lily Tomlin, even. The one thing I do want to point out about Phyllis, and I've mentioned this a couple times during this conversation, that laugh of hers, that cackle. That no she, one did that. Call it. <laughs> I'll tell you what, nobody did that. And here's something many, this is what I love when I interview comedians and talk with comedians and stuff, because a lot of them will say, like, don't ever laugh at your own jokes. Don't go up there and laugh. You know, let's let the audience laugh. And then there's others that I just love that can't help but laugh at themselves because they know it's funny. And Phyllis was one of those. If you watch her, she'll say, so she'll be doing these one-liners. She'll do a string of them. She'll get to about seven or eight. And all of a sudden, the one she just said just hits her as funny. And she has that laugh, (laughs) whatever she did. And the thing I thought was so amazing, I watched her final interview she ever did. It was only a couple months before she passed away. And she was very, very old. I mean, it was was obvious, you know, and, and she was talking about being in Lima. But a couple times during an interview, she did that laugh. And I Damn thought, my God. <laughs> yeah. There's that sort of, yeah. There's this 90, 90-some-year-old woman, and she looked beautiful, and she had her wig on. She was dressed up. She's sitting around with her artwork, and she did that that laugh. And like, there you go. That's Phyllis Diller. Well, you know, it's it's uh, it became her her signature, and she she also did, did it sometimes before the jokes. If, if you listen, you're like, she's, she'll laugh she before yeah. she does the bit. And you're like, <laughs> what the hell? And, you know, but isn't it something, it's kind of a cue sometimes that this is funny. I mean, sometimes people laugh when they, other people laugh. And, and so they, people would laugh at her laugh. So it's kind of like, yeah. I'm priming the well a little bit. <laughs> You're going to laugh here, guys. I just, from the, the time that I saw her, and I saw her another time too, by the way, but I did see her, it was like, she was having fun. I never took it as being an act. I mean, she could stand, she could talk to the crowd. And if she saw if she got the crowd, then she would laugh with them. Back when I worked in Los Angeles, when I was working in the comedy industry, I went to, I would go to the American Comedy Awards. I was there in, well, back in 1992, folks, when Phyllis Diller got the Lifetime Achievement Award. I watched her on the stage come out and get her award and everything. And it was just a thrill because, and every, I mean, the room was filled with every comedian you can think of. I was lucky to be there because I happened to work for the improv. It was just amazing. She came out and she got this award and everybody felt if anyone ever deserved an award like this, it was Phyllis Diller. Yeah. And it was a lifetime achievement award. She toured under, I thought was, as, a, as a pianist, under, under the name of Dame Ilia Dahlia or something <laughs> from 72 to 82. Like So toured as a pianist, said, you know, I, I can... You know, I'm going to do this now for a little bit and show you that I can, I can and play with this orchestras. Thing. It was with orchestras, not just yeah. playing the piano on stage. She toured with orchestras. It was seriously, it was funny between the songs. She made funny bits and jokes and things. But when they played, she actually played. That's what she was trained to do. Isn't that something, man? It's like, it just, it's, it's, you know, that was her bread and butter was the comedy, but these other things had to keep happening and still creating. And I think that, you know, helps keep her alive and creative, even into her, you know, into her last 90 decade, ninth decade. I think one of my most like favorite random things that she did was she became the honorary mayor of Brentwood. <laughs> That's cool, isn't it? I mean, just how completely random that is. But yeah, that was in 2012 they gave her that honor. It was right before she passed away. She passed away in 2012. Oh my God. Make you a mayor. At 95, she became the honorary mayor of a city. <laughs> you know, she had a sitcom for a while. I don't think people realize that. I didn't even realize that. Back in uh, 19, sometime in the late 1960s, I think it was. I don't remember. Again, this stuff I have to go back and look at. I think it was called The Pruitts of Southampton. 
And it was an op. And again, you're going back. You got it. I'm a historian when it comes to <laughs> entertainment in a way. I kind of followed this stuff. It, at that time, there was a big show on TV called The Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, yeah. Where, the, where they made all this money, moved out to Beverly Hills. Well, this was kind of an opposite, where there was this real rich family, and they lost everything. And Phyllis Diller was the head of the family. Oh, and, wow. And so they lived in this big, elegant mansion uh-huh. with servants, and but they were broke. Yeah. It's like Shit's Creek a little bit. Okay. <laughs> okay, there you go. See, no uh, original it, ideas. Everything no. reinventing the wheel. <laughs> but I've seen the clips. I got to check that out because yeah. I've never seen. Was she in character? She was Phyllis Diller. If you watch okay. the opening things, I'm going to watch this. <laughs> she comes out with her. I mean, she's got her wig on and the think the cigarette holder and the gloves because she's supposed to be the glam. She's playing the yeah. Phyllis Diller character, but of course, she's playing her as being glamorous, baby. <laughs> Everything is wonderful. Here we are. I'm in this big mansion. Ah, uh, you're broke. Don't yeah. tell anybody. <laughs> See, yeah. you you never know how that's gonna twist and how that's going to work, right? Because it, it, it's up to the public at that time. You had Beverly Hillbillies, you had Green Acres, you had things that were like kind of mixes of that, you know? Yeah, a lot where, of fish out of water comedies. Yeah. At that time. It just didn't work. It just didn't work. But uh, she gave it a shot. Who cares? She went back to comedy. Yes. <laughs> well, she went and made more movies with Bob Hope and everything after that. And it's funny. It really is. It still holds up. I mean, like I said, it's the same kind of humor that you would see people doing on, you know, Instagram or on stage right now. It's it's very funny. There's, you know, maybe a few jokes that are a little dated, but for the most part, it really holds up. And I see a little Amy Sedaris. Oh, in, yeah, in, definitely. You know, yeah, it's like she does a little bit of her bit and you're kind of like, you go, wow, Amy's Amy was influenced by her. Oh, you could sure. tell. Yeah, so many, so many great so many of our time right now you can see that guys this has been a blast really have. yes it's so fun talking to you guys yeah well i love this new format you know because we're sending people out to listen i urge our listeners look up phyllis diller if you're not familiar with her maybe some of the our younger people are not familiar with phyllis she's an icon well i'm gonna say uh kelly and tom it's been great talking with you again are you talking to you too um, Dave? yeah yeah um, this time went real fast i did uh, i'm looking forward to our next Next episode, what we're going to come up with. Well, if you guys want to say goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye. Okay, I'm Dave Schwenson. I'll, I'll say goodbye. Yeah, thank you. This has been What's So Funny. And uh, until next time, keep laughing. What's So Funny is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya. Producer, Sarah Wilgroup. And audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.